Today in the podcast, we're having a conversation about belief. My guest is leadership mentor, author, and strategist Cameron Schwab. At 24 years of age, Cameron was appointed the CEO of the famous Richmond Football Club, becoming the youngest CEO in the history of the game. He told me recently that there's a lot that leaders can really learn from the world of football and elite sport. I give him a call to explore some of his leadership lessons as the second longest serving CEO in the modern game. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author, and mentor from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network, and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now, through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really, the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. Joining me on the phone is Cameron Schwab. After cutting his teeth as a recruiter at the Melbourne Football Club when the Demons made the finals for the first time in 23 years, Cameron was appointed the CEO of the famous Richmond Football Club at just 24 years of age. For the next 25 years, he was the CEO of Richmond, Melbourne and Fremantle when those clubs were at their lowest, both on and off the field. He's the second longest serving CEO in the modern game. Having taken on some of the sport's most difficult and daunting challenges, Cam established a track record of building teams and organizations, unifying groups while navigating periods of genuine adversity and complexity. Cameron's now a leadership mentor and strategist, as well as being an artist and illustrator, studying fine art at the Victorian College of the Arts. And I can't wait to jump into this conversation with him. Cameron, welcome. Uh, it's great to be here, Shane, and, uh, and congratulations on the uh, on the initiative. I think it's, um, I don't know about the, uh, the quite a bit, but the, uh, oh, okay, I'm good to be on, I'm good that I'm on the phone. I can handle that bit, okay. Yeah, pe- people, people have been asking me to start a secondary podcast, which is um, phone calls with the rest of the people. Um, rather than yeah, just phone yeah. calls with clever people. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation um, because we're talking about something which is really a big fundamental part of, of leadership, which is this idea of belief. Um, but before we jump into it, I always start with some fast facts. So um, where were you born? What was your first job? And then what do you do with yourself now? Uh, I was born in uh, in Mount Waverley in the, the suburbs of, of Melbourne when it was uh, an outer suburb and we had uh, no sewage and an outdoor dunny. Um, <laughs> I uh, grew up there and I'm very proud of my suburban heritage. And so if you use the word grouse and ace and these sorts of things, it might be just some reflection of, uh, <laughs> of growing up in the growing up in the seventies and the eighties. Uh, I second question was your first uh, job. What did my first job? My first job was a uh, an office boy at, at the Melbourne Football Club. My first serious job. I'd been a paper boy and done those sorts of things. Not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> I was a, an an office boy at the Melbourne Football Club straight out of school. So I was eighteen years of age and. Um, Job was just you know picking up the mail and doing odd, odd jobs around uh, around the football club, and uh, that job then became known as the uh, assistant to the football manager. And I remember having this fierce determination. I thought life would be complete if I could just get rid of the two and just be the assistant <laughs> football manager. You know, yeah. I didn't want to. I wanted to stop being the assistant to the football manager. I just wanted to be assistant. You know? Yep. And what I do now is I, I teach leadership. Really, you know, I'm um, I. I I build it from a uh, the lived experience. I got to do it for for a long a long period of time in football and uh, in Australian football, 
And uh, so now I teach leadership, but probably more a system of leadership rather than you know, helping people find their their own way of leading, if you like. So build it in and around systems and um, and mainly questions, to be honest, because mm. uh, I think leadership is um, by its very nature a very ambiguous effort, if you like, and mm. uh, and questions are much better than statements when it comes to um, digging deeper into ambiguity. And, yeah. And we're going to have a conversation about belief yeah. today and um, let's rewind the clock a little bit. So I, I grew up in Queensland and in a small town in Bundaberg and where we grew up, mm-hmm. it was it was NRL country. Yeah. Um, and then we found yeah. ourselves relocating to Melbourne in 2010. And for me, it was mm. like my first exposure to the AFL uh, world. Mm. Uh, but this is a world that you have you know, grown up in, essentially, and been familiar with. Yeah. And you were, um, you know, the youngest CEO of, of, a, of a football club um, at 24 years of age. So if we could rewind the clock a little bit to there, we're talking about belief. I know people who are in later stages of their life who struggle with belief and confidence when it comes mm. to taking on a role or feeling like an imposter. You're 24 years old and you're taking on a, a, a huge responsibility. Is this the start of your journey around belief and confidence or did it precede that? Or did it go back further? I can't say that I would have um, categorized it or articulated it in the way that you did. But I, I think when I, I did grow up around the game. So, so my father, Alan Schwab, was then known as the secretary of the Richmond Football Club and Richmond were the power club of the competition. And and I was uh, a kid living that. So I, I had this this wonderfully colourful upbringing. Any opportunity to get deeper into it, I, I would I would do. So even and and a simple little explanation might be that there was a famous Richmond coach. His name's Tom Hafey, and he coached four premierships at Richmond. And my father was the secretary of the club. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tom Hafey would come round to our home, or my father would go round to his home, or they'd meet at the Punt Road Oval in Richmond on the Sunday. All games were played on a Saturday, and on the Sunday, and there's no replays. They couldn't just flick on a video or anything like that. So, literally, these two men, um, who I looked up to as heroes, really, uh, were almost replaying the game to each other. Wow. They were talking through what actually happened. That was it. Was off their memory. And and I worked out as a as a young fellow, and I, and again, I, it's something I only think about later. But by staying silent in those moments, you, you actually a kid can be in any room, really. You know? And and I was in that room often. And every so often, they would talk about something that happened on the field, and I'd say, "Yeah, I remember that." And I have my own take on what that was. And and what I also found out was that they would be talking about people who were my superheroes really, you know, they were my version of Batman and Robin and Superman and Spider-Man and mm. who I loved as well, by the way. And, but the, they'd also be talking about their, their weaknesses. They'd be talking about their kryptonite, you know, and they'd say things like, Oh, he's out of form or he's lost confidence. And, and, and I'd then go, well, how do we get that back? Mm. You know, cause we need, we need that player playing to his superhero capabilities. What do you think? And they would have conversations about what do we now need to do to get that? And, and Tom Hafey was what they, in an era where it was a very hard, aggressive game. And he was certainly a high a person who set high standards, but he was also known as a player's man at the time. And so I was privy to these conversations. And then as the office boy at Melbourne football club, 
as I mentioned, I, the coach of the club was a guy, Ron Barassi, who was another famous name in the game. So I'm, I get my opportunity with Ron Barassi to, to build a relationship because almost the only capability I bring to the role is that I used to be good at, I love music. So I was always making mixtapes, you know, where you'd cut tapes and, yeah. and normally for a you know, girl, you might've been keen on at the time or something <laughs> like that. But so but that cassette to cassette thing. And then I worked out the video to video could operate the same way. So I found myself in that first year, uh, I'd be picking up the mail, but I'd also be editing uh, Ron Barassi's tapes for it. Mm. And so then I got to see what he thought was important in the game. And so I've gone from the probably the two iconic figures of that era I've had, and plus my father in my life early, having conversations and being part of at the very highest level that the game could produce at that stage is what they needed to do to get the very best from the best players in the mm. game. And often the best players didn't play well. And, and even getting your head around that, that this is a, a competition that your skill and your capability doesn't guarantee you're going to perform. Yeah. And, and, and so, and I was in those conversations. And so that becomes then the, the basis of it. And often they talk about the player was lacking form or lacking confidence or lacking something. And, and I'd roll with that same terminology. And it might be only by definition that I'm saying something different now, but I'd say they lacked belief. And it might have been, it might have been belief in that moment, belief they can kick the goal, belief they could execute the skill, belief they could play against that opponent, belief they could play in front of a hundred thousand people, mm. uh, belief that they um, could over, could come straight back off injury, which had actually held them back for the previous ten weeks, and run straight back out onto the MCG and play well. So it was always there in mm. in some shape or form. But what we would often do, we would talk to the outcome of the belief. So confidence, I think, is an outcome of a belief, or form is an outcome of a belief. Mm. And uh, and it's probably not until um, – and you ask the question about the imposter thing with me. Well, I felt that from the very minute I walked in there. And I got to do it for 25 years, and I felt it right to the very end. I always felt wow. like an imposter, always. And it never changed. And that wasn't, any, that wasn't saying that I wasn't confident for most of that time in – in the things that I knew I could do okay, but because you're always, your next endeavor or your next effort uh, builds on your, your previous achievement, you're always looking to ratchet it all up. So you're always mm. in some ways saying, can I do this? Can yeah. we take it here? Can we stretch it? And, and so I think by definition, and also if you're doing the job properly as a leader, you're always dealing with the most ambiguous issues anyway, because if you're not dealing the most ambiguous issues, you you become controlling. You know, mm. you, you're stopping other people deal with that because really, as a leader, you the best use of you is dealing with the tough stuff. Yeah. And so, hopefully, you've got people around you who are dealing with the things which you don't and shouldn't need to do because they've got the capability of handling all that. So, I think imposter thing is always going to be there as a definition of it, mm. uh, simply because what you're doing is very difficult. It's hard. Mm. And you, that makes you sense? yeah, it does because I think what you're doing is is going. Let's take a step back. A lot of people want to go straight to the outcomes of leadership, which yeah. is the yeah. you know how do I build my confidence? How do I build my credibility? And what you're saying is like, hang mm -hmm. on, these are outcomes of um, this deeper level belief about who I am and my role as a leader and what my responsibility yeah. is as a leader. Um, and you, yeah. you talk about it in, in your book, More to the Game, you talk about this idea of leadership is not just do, it's be. 
right? And this is kind yeah, of what you're, yeah. I guess, touching on here is this taking a step backwards and going, okay, who who am I? And this actually starts with me. Is that kind of what I'm hearing a little bit? Yeah, it is. And, and it's really um, built on the notion that if you, if you understand who you are, no one can take that away. Mm. Um, but if you're not sure of who you are, you know, that's up for grabs every day. Wow. And so if, if you, in fact, are struggling with that, and you always will, mm. um, how do you actually rebuild that in yourself? Mm. And so, so part of that, and I got sacked a couple of times and as a CEO, so I got to do it for a long time. So I was 24 and I did it till I was you know, into my 50s mm. or close to 50. Yeah, so I got to do it for almost 25 years. And the only, the only thing that made me, say, different from the people around was just the time I got to do it. If mm. I, even the conversation we're having now really only benefits from the fact that I did it, did it for a long time. And, and that's not in, with any level of arrogance around that. It's just because I, I know that um, if I felt the same way for 25 years, uh, my assumption when I started was I wouldn't feel like this at some stage in the future. Right. And, and so when you ask me about the question at 24, I, I can remember sitting in the office at the Richmond Football Club, which – Almost only a dozen years earlier, I'd sat in the office on the other side of my dad's desk because that was his job. Wow. And I and I used to draw because I always enjoyed drawing and and I'd be drawing footballers with the hope that one of them would walk past and come into the room and say, "Get out, young Schwab, <laughs> you know, ruffling the hair." That's and then and then twelve years later, I'm the CEO. Yeah, wow. that's my job. And and I can remember all these people coming to see me almost as well wishes on the on the first day. And but really, they came with an agenda. Every single one of them, mm. and and it would always be good on you. It's great to have a Schwab back in there, you know, all this nice stuff, you know. Mm. And I was really proud of Dad. So there's no even being the son of it has its own complexity. But because I, I was so proud of Dad, I, I sort of knew that was going to be part of the uh, the narrative about me. Mm. And then they would always, almost inevitably, there'd be something like, if I was sitting in your chair, I would. And it would start with sack, either name of coach, player, president, something, maybe some, you know, some <laughs> advice they'd give yeah. me. And they'd be people who'd been around the club for a long time, but none of them ever said, oh, by the way, you know, I might have made a bit of a mess of it back there. And Richmond was in a bad space at that mm. time. They're a much different space to the one that went in my father. We were the, we'd actually gone from being the best club to the worst club in that wow. those dozen or so years, you know. And I remember having a conversation with a wonderful mentor of mine, a fellow named Francis Burke, who he would even not necessarily consider himself a mentor of mine because he would actually always think of himself as being someone who was not worthy of that status. It's just a really unusual thing. Mm. But he was a great, great, great Richmond player. And he, he coached Richmond for just two years. And he came straight out of playing. And he coached the club in the very first year after he, he he finished as a player, played 300 games, and he, his name's Francis Burke, and they called him Saint Francis. You know, that's <laughs> that's, the, that's the esteem yeah. that he was actually held. You know, but was such a humble man, and he's still such a humble man. And I remember having a conversation with him, and he said something like, "Because um, he went straight from playing to coaching, and and he often asked himself the question, what would Ron Barassi do now' mm. if he was in this job? What would Tom Hafey do now if he was in this job?' I remember him saying the question he didn't ask himself nearly often enough was, what what should Francis Burke do at right. this time? And he said something like, they said, therefore, I never really created an identity for myself as a leader. Mm. 
because of that. And he was sacked after two years. He took him to a grand final in year one and was sacked at the end of his second year. And he never got to coach ever again. And he said, oh, Richmond might have done me a favour. He actually says that. Mm. And I remember, and he said, look, certainly ask yourself the question, you know, what would Alan Schwab do? But definitely finish with what should Cameron Schwab do? I like that. Then you're taking responsibility and you're taking and um so I was, I was lucky yeah and i almost get a little bit emotional when i think about it really because then what happens my father dies about three years later and the, the what would and should becomes sort of real then because mm. my what my what would actually could have been i could actually just ring my dad and say what would you do yeah and but that was no longer available to me and so the should sort of came on to me I was still the son of, but my father had passed away. So it was then, it was then a, a different, different conversation. So really, what Francis is saying is, you've got to believe in yourself, mm. because don't expect other people to believe in you unless you can actually believe in, in you. And and knowing that that's always going to get shaky, mm. it's always going to get shaky. I mean that 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 one question alone to to ask yourself, okay. Yes, it's great to kind of seek externally um, advice or input or learning or growth and wisdom. That's the relationships that we develop. But at the end of the day, it's what do we do with the information that we receive and the relationships that we've built and the advice we're given. At the end of the day, we still have to own the decisions that we make and it's the decisions that we ultimately have to believe in. Uh, that that are part of our big role as a leader. And when when we're talking about this space, what are some of the big challenges that you see for people who are in leadership um, around these these areas of self-belief or, um, you know, I guess at a personal level, what are some of the big problems you're noticing? Well, just even asking the question, I think is part of it. Mm -hmm. Because of the momentum of actually what happens, it's a, there's no lack of doing. Yeah. And you have to do eventually. And so, and you've heard me talk about it before. It's not leadership's not something to do; it's something to be. So, are we spending more time on the B and and almost the the, the two Bs words which start with B? I, I say, okay, we're here because the first B is because we're here because. So, having a, a realistic understanding of what because actually is, you know, as much as you possibly can, because often we have to make decisions prior to really knowing and understanding. Uh, and you can see that happening in the environment that we're operating in now. But we're, we're certainly, at least in Australia, we're falling back to science, which is good. But science is only working it out. And therefore, we get disappointed when science actually tells us something different tomorrow mm. than it did yesterday. But science is actually saying, well, we're working it out as well. So yeah. so we, we can only operate on the best information and knowledge we've got. And by the way, there might be one scientist who says one thing and another scientist says <laughs> another thing, you know. Yeah. And that can happen because that's what the world's like, you know. Um so the, B, the first B is just the because. Have we got a sense of the because? And everyone then says, oh, we want to go beyond, you know, so someplace beyond this, like beyond the pandemic. Mm. We, 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 how do we? Well, we can only go from because to beyond if we go through belief. Mm. And so, so therefore, you're asking yourself, like as a leader, the, the first question you should ask yourself on, on the belief thing is, do I believe in my people and do they believe in me? And so if, if, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what do I need to see in the people who I, I'm giving uh, this opportunity to to actually drive performance, to actually drive uh, the uh, the organisation in a direction that we agree in, which hopefully we believe in the direction as well. That's another thing I talk about. Mm. Is you, you you need they need to have sort of the sort of a character and capability piece going on. Mm. Are, are they good people? Do they try hard? Uh, is their intention good? You know, are they learners? Mm. These sorts of things. That's part of the belief thing. And then you go, okay, but they also need to have a a functional capability to do 
the job well as well. So, so it's no point having a capability which doesn't actually relate to the function that they're performing. <laughs> you know, so so therefore, and I think if you've got a belief in those things, they're either there now or they're on track to be there in a time frame which works for you. Well, you believe in your people, and then you ask yourself, okay, what do they need to see in me to believe in me? You know, as in as their leader. And and you can you can easily write write it down. You can easily start saying, well, they need to be they need me to be brave. Um, they need to be to be they need me to be calm. They hope that I'm humble. Yeah, <laughs> these sorts of things. Yeah, they hope they know. They hope that I know what I'm talking about. Mm. And they also probably hope that I own up when I don't know what I'm talking about as well. You know, so that humility yeah. thing. These conversations becomes... seem like they would be the, the first one you mentioned would be one that we have often, which is, do I believe in my people? Um, and we look at what are some of the things that I need from my people to be able to believe in. But this second one sounds like it wouldn't be a common conversation that people are having is do my people believe in me? No, well, they're your quiet moments really, aren't they? They're, mm. they're, the, they're the driving into work, standing in the shower, so I'd say they're almost the most important. An interesting thing is I, I learned that a little bit because I was um, uh, I was CEO at Fremantle Footy Club and I was able to I was out there for almost eight years and and part of the role is you travel a lot so you're getting on a plane and because majority of your games are out you're playing half your games at home and half a game away and when you're living in Perth away means away yeah. you know, like away is away is going to Melbourne most times or going to Queensland going to Sydney going to Adelaide so you're on a plane for a fair whack of time. Yeah. And it's prior to Wi-Fi and planes, and and it was actually a time I got back into drawing. So I started just taking a pad and pencil and started drawing because you had four hours to kill. But then you had uh, four hours to kill to kill to think as well. So some of this thinking came through where because often I felt that um, the job was beyond me, you know. Um, but other people wouldn't tell me that, you know? mm. and I wasn't getting that feedback. So what was it that I, why was I feeling that and others weren't telling me that? Um, and I suppose I did the job for eight years. So that must have been, and we were making improvements in other ways, but it was always because I was just ratcheting up my expectations, mm. which you have to do. I'm not saying that's unreasonable, you know. Um, and one of the challenges often with with, um, with leadership is you, you sometimes think that just going quick is going to be the answer as well, you know. Mm. So, but I've learned that. Velocity is never the answer for complexity. That's that's one of the things I have I mm, I've learned. You know? Great thought. And so, just actually, and so what I had was these deliberate opportunities, or these uh, these opportunities to slow down, which were actually almost enforced in lots of ways. And then I came back to Melbourne, and I was CEO at Melbourne Footy Club, and I was living in East Melbourne. And it was taking me about a minute and a half to get to work, and I didn't have to get on planes. And I realised there was I'd lost something, which was I thought was a pain in the bum, was actually a really important period of time. Mm. And so, therefore. Deliberately bringing those spaces back, um, and it was more difficult because you to create non-distracted space in anything other than a plane during that era was is, was as challenging uh, then as it is now. But then you can just simply ask the question based on what the situation is now. What does this role expect of me? Mm. And and so it, the expectation may have been very different this month than it was last month. But unless you're actually asking yourself that question, you'll just continue to maintain. So you might you might be doing um, you might be answering a uh, a question in the same way, but the problem's actually changed at some place back there, and you haven't recognised it. Mm. And uh, and and it really was that more deliberate reflection that uh, I found to be almost the most important time 
but it also didn't feel like progress. It didn't feel, and particularly in an environment where it's very competitive, it's very um, cutthroat, it's um, it's winners and losers, heroes and villains, and all mm. that sort of stuff. It was easy to find yourself on the lose in the the loser villain category, you know, if you're not careful. You know? Yeah. And, pro- and probably that's the other aspect of belief in elite sport is there's a lot of people telling you you're no good, mm. you know, because there is a winner and a loser. And and I was the roles I took were often in clubs in um, in crisis, and you're trying to draw them into competitiveness, and and so therefore you you're watching your team lose a lot, mm. um, and so that's that can be. A wonderful reflective period, but it can also be devastating for your self-esteem. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, which kind of leads me to kind of this this question around belief. You know, you've talked about this idea of having a, a strong because or this this kind of common mm. purpose to want to go beyond mm. and and to achieve this. But belief is like this missing link that sits between those two yeah. and enables us yeah. to. It's it's our our belief in others and our belief in ourselves. Um, what do you do when you've had your belief shattered? I mean, you would have seen this experience time after time when people walk off a field or, you know, and they, they feel yeah. like their belief is shattered. But you, you mentioned earlier, it's this kind of key that unlocks so much for us. What do you do when it's shattered? How do you rebuild it again? Uh, exactly that. You rebuild it. Mm. And, and sometimes you're not going back as far as you think you you need to. You know, you all, all it was was that the... You, know, you, you could, on your, in your progress towards something, um, it's never a straight line. And in fact, it, it's important that it's not a straight line because uh, it's got to build on its own learning. So if you have a disappointing outcome, uh, the outcome, and, and where, where sport is outstanding, is it is far and away, and probably military would be the same, is it is great at the what happened question, mm. like the what happened, because we use what happened as a basis for what now and what next. Mm. But, but business is right into the what now, what next, not necessarily into the what happened. Mm. And and the reason the reason it is like that. So if we play on a Saturday, whilst the next game is always the context of the learning, it's not a, it's not really talked about until about the Tuesday. Mm. So we draw as much learning on the Sunday Monday out of the previous game at a at an individual level and a team based level as we can, because that is the basis of the future development and learning. And a lot of the coaching happens in, in, in group sessions as well. So, so if I was giving you feedback, I'm your coach and I was giving you feedback and we'd say, Shane, we need you to push back harder at that time. I, I know you you'd run hard, but this is the extra effort we're talking about. This is what, this is what the competition, the standard of this competition sets, not the competition, it's not the standard we're setting, mm. the competition setting this standard. So we need you to push back harder. Why? Because that puts pressure on the ball carrier who just may hold onto the ball a bit longer, which then gives other players a chance to push back. And you're hearing that, but everyone in the room's hearing it as well. Oh, that's mm. what they expect. That's what we need to do. In business, we're very reluctant to do that. Mm. Look, if we're giving... If we're giving feedback to someone, not in when it comes to personal feedback, I get that. But if we're saying we need you to be better at this, 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 and this, everyone else should be taking notice as well. But in, it's just not seen as being the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so we do that. One, it's a very efficient way of doing it. The second thing, which is really different, is that come save the games on the Saturday, and, and the players' coaching starts really quickly after a game. So they they would edit out their own game tapes. And they would come into you, you might be 18 or 19 years of age, you'll be coming into the to the assistant coach with your edited version of your game tape. And so you're saying, here's the things I think I need to get better at. Mm. 
you know, and you can do that at 18 or 19. 18 and 19 year old males are pretty bloody selfish beasts, you know, but they see that that's what they have to do because they're just, that is then the opportunity for the coach to go, no, I think you've been a bit harsh on yourself there, but I'd be more concerned about that stuff there because they're doing their own edited version of that mm-hmm. as well. And that's the expectation in the minute you walk in the door. Whereas, you know, that notion of self-analysis, so where do you build your confidence from? Well, you build your confidence from when you're watching it, you say, actually, there's some stuff we're doing pretty well here. You know, if if I put out that effort consistently over the next period of time, we'll win lose we'll win more games than we lose. Mm. And I had a, I'm I'm reading the Richmond win the premiership in 2017 off the back of a bad year in 2018, and there's this there's this book which was a year inside the club, right. and I've only just start, just started reading it. And this guy talks about Damien Hardwick, the coach, who's just coached the club through a really disappointing year. They get beaten by 113 points in the very last game mm. before. So it's not the great thing you want to be coming into yep. pre-season having been thrashed. And I'm talking about their game styles all going to be about pressure on the ball, what the term is pressure on the ball. And they said, um, all right, guys, come up, the coach asks the players, come up with an example where we did that really well last year and they only won eight out of 22 games the year before. Well, the example they come up with was a game that they lost. They didn't come up with game one of the eight games they won. They came up with a game that they lost, and they got beaten by a couple of goals against the Western Bulldogs, who ended up going on and winning the premiership. But the fact is the players saw that their best example of what they were trying to do now as the basis of their success was, in fact, the game that they lost. Nice. Whereas every other Richmond supporter walked away from the game, you know, thinking, oh, how bad are we? The players themselves, because they've got the insight, the understanding, they know if they play that well most weeks, they'll win. And they went on and won the premiership that year by playing that way most weeks. Right. So their learning came from a game they lost. And so the, the scoreboard's often not the measure. Mm. It's the it's the system, the process, the behaviours, the all those things, which is which is the measure. Which I love that conversation in sport. It seems so straightforward that you would mm. take time to look at your work and to self evaluate and to evaluate as a team. Yeah. But when we talk about putting that within a business context, people, you know people get anxious or they feel nervous. It's like, don't give me some, don't give me the negative feedback or, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm worried what, you know, if you've kind of spoken to me and told me something, that something that I need to improve, then maybe I'm going to lose my job. And now I'm all, you know, yeah. insecure about that. But this is actually one of the best things for us is to actually seek out feedback yeah. and, and to embrace it. And, it's, and the feedback's got to be real. Mm. Look, if you're giving feedback because you've got the shits, that doesn't cut it. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, so, so even so even the so like the roundabout the three rules of feedback and this is good and bad so mm. this is not just time yeah and and you have to always delivery of it's got to be taken into account but the the, the first rule is can you back it up mm. well, well the good thing about sport is generally you're in a pretty good position to back it up because you've got video you got you know you got coaching tools yeah and you've got very you know experienced capable people giving you that feedback um, but can you back it up so it's got to be real it's not made up. It's not mm. hearsay, it's not rumour, it's not gossip, it's whatever. And the second question you ask yourself, is what I'm saying valuable? Is what I'm saying important? Is mm. what I'm saying helpful? Because I'm just I'm just not yelling, you know, and I, I grew up in an era where coaches would be yelling and screaming <laughs> and all that sort of stuff and you go, oh, okay, oh, this is the genius of these guys and they must be something. But really, they were, it was just them, that's what they thought coaching was all about. Yeah. Because that was the worst side of them. The best side of them is in the stuff that we're talking about now. 
And the third one is it coming from a good place. Like it's coming from a place of generosity, decency, all those sorts of things. Well, it hits those sort of three marks. Well, the feedback should be given mm. because you're almost doing the person, and you know, you, know, you know, the other word I use is honour. You're dishonouring it if you don't actually go down that track. And so people go, if, if someone had feedback for me, even as the CEO, and, and the one thing as a leader, it's very difficult to get good feedback because no one tells the CEO their baby's ugly, really. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. so, you, so you're in this situation, how do you get good feedback? Well, I just say, look, these are my three rules of feedback. If you've got feedback to me, as long as it's coming from that place, I'm really cool with it. Mm. But just don't throw nonsense at me because it, it's a, it just distracts things. And, and, and most people, if you, if you say, well, that's the environment that we're trying to create, because really high performance requires a high performance culture and a high-performance culture is a product of high-performance behaviours. Mm. And the culture is sort of like an artefact of those, the relationships which are built up as a result of that. You know, so so the, 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 the culture then becomes something which is a product of the tough decisions we've had, the tough discussions we've had rather, the, the feedback discussions we've had, the honest discussions we had, the discussions we had when we stuffed it up, we should have handled it differently. The culture is like an artefact of all of those things. Mm. And um, and so if you if you're up for those conversations, if you're up for high performance culture uh, conversations, high performance behaviours which require that, that, that all that you'll get the culture you're looking for, and it'll be unique to the group itself. Mm. And the leader's got to model that. You know, the leader can't walk past. The leader's got to set that standard themselves. Yeah. And that's why, and that's the other guy coming right back. That's why leadership's hard because you've got to see, you've got to live that standard every day. You've got to say, well, here's the standard, and now I'm going to live it. Wow. And by the way, and I'm not allowed to walk past it either. So if I see it in someone else, I've got to pick them up. So I have to be able to give them that feedback. Which has to come from a deep sense of belief around what, what, who you are as a leader and what you expect of other people, right? Yeah, it does, but it's going to get shaky. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> you know, so, so because it's hard, like you say in the league spot, even when you're winning and you've come out of eras where you've won a lot, you always wish that you'd won more, you know. Yeah, you're never satisfied with the number of wins you've had. Mm. Yeah, like if you win 16 in a season, you wish you'd won 18. You always think about the two we should have won. Yeah. You're not so much thinking about the three that we fell over the line on. You know, <laughs> you think about the ones you should have won. You know, that's just the nature of it. Particularly really competitive people in in, in that way. So, so therefore, and and then when you have a run of losses, and that can happen, um, that's where you learn about yourself. You know. Mm. Because there were there would be many times, don't worry, I'd be on those planes when you coming back to Fremantle and I'd go, Am I stuffing this whole thing up, am I? Mm. I'd I'd actually literally ask myself that question. Why are we no good? Mm. Why did we lose that game? Is it because I can't see something the coach is not doing that he should be doing? And am I idealizing the capability of the players here? Do I have any idea what I'm doing? <laughs> that, that was I reckon people <laughs> listening to this would just be finally exhaling the, the breath that they've held their entire life to know that if they've ever had experiences or moments of self-doubt and their belief, that it happens to yeah. everyone. Like, hopefully oh, this is a normalizing right. conversation, right? No, it isn't. And, and don't worry. They all, that's why the good thing about the world that we're living in now is that, um, is that um, we're getting this the whole... Uh, range of leaders who are prepared to come out and say, "Well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the best," you know, <laughs> and and and, pe- and and people people put them up on a pedestal and they go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but gee, I was lucky on that one, you know. It, it was, and and look, every so often you'll find someone who can't see past their own 
you know, hubris in in regard to that. But mm. yeah, and, and and by the way, I didn't I didn't talk much like this when I was a CEO. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, you know, so, so it is a uh, because look, the, the one thing everyone everyone says about you know vulnerability and the importance of vulnerability, and I'm a real believer in it. You can't have authenticity without vulnerability, but that doesn't mean you right walk in the room saying what I was saying to me. So <laughs> there. Look, I have no idea what I'm doing here, guys. So, <laughs> can, can you take can you take over? Yeah, you're not you're not talking like that. You yeah. know, so so you put you always, and that's why I like Brene Brown stuff. She's all for bravery and she's all for openness. But you said you better put some boundaries around that thing, yeah. Because you know, because the, the people still want to see their So yeah, don't worry. There was a fair bit of head up, shoulders back. You know, looked apart. Everyone needs a bit of a lift here. You know, how do I find that way of doing it? It mightn't be riding in on your on your white horse. You know, <laughs> saying I've got all the answers, yeah. but it's actually saying no, I'm prepared to take responsibility. You know, that's at least part of it. Mm. And and even in that, you still stuffed it up. You know, because if you're doing your job properly, you're only dealing with 49, 51 decisions anyway. Like, because if you if you're dealing with 80, 20s, that's someone else's job. Mm. You know, if you're dealing even with 60, 40s, that's someone else's job. So if you haven't got the someone else to do that job, well, you're somehow that's you're still a work in progress in, in wow. regard to your team. Even that, yeah. even that practical tip there is 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 something if someone could look at their work and go, okay, what are the decisions that I'm making right now, and what are some of the decisions yeah. that I shouldn't be making right now? That's that's a, a really yeah. practical tip to to take away. Um, one well, of the things is, that yeah. I'm I'm looking at trying to connect some of these dots here because one of the things I love mm-hmm. that you said is like this place of B, which is my like who I am mm-hmm. and, and what I believe about myself, which is this constant work in progress is actually going to shape mm-hmm. what I do. It's, it shapes mm-hmm. whether I call things out, whether I speak up, whether I, you know, the way that I show up. And then you touched mm-hmm. on before you said like, and then all those things that we do create who we become as a team. Mm. So this is a natural progression from, okay, who I be shapes what I do and what, then what we do shapes who we become. Mm. And yeah, yeah, and yeah. we look at the culture of connected. all of this. And I'm just, I love yeah. this. Like if we were to bring this back, this is the belief conversation is if you, we go, we want to change yeah. the culture. We want to change performance. We want to change all the results, which you touched on as early is the mm. outcome. It's like, bring it back and mm. go, okay, what's the element of belief here that actually is going to help shape and influence this? Yeah. Well, so the other B then I'm just on behaviors. So, mm. so, so, so tell me what the behaviours are here. You know, so you want to have a high performance culture, okay? Let's have high performance behaviours, or mm. we want to have a a culture, a achievement of anything, okay? What are the behaviours which achieve that culture, and what are we doing if to align those behaviours in in that sense? So, so, and that's normally habits and identity, normally a combination of habits and identity. You know? mm. So, so even that imposter thing, allowing that not to overwhelm you. Yeah. And knowing that in moments it will, but allowing it as a rule not to overwhelm. Mm. And and so sometimes it was then saying, okay, which part of myself do I actually really get confidence from and do I believe in and do I – and so I, there's always a couple of things that I felt for me personally was that, like I actually enjoyed strategy, just strategy. Mm. Um, and I found that to be a really strong and powerful lever when it came to belief because it – a um, Belief comes from achievement in the moment, really. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, you know, we just achieved, so I feel good, you know. So, um, and that's where, you know, motivation is also really influenced by achievement in the moment. Or in the very real belief that we will achieve in a future that we can, you know, that we that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. you know. And, and often as a leader, you, you're actually talking about a future that you might not well be a part of. Mm. Yeah, so that's that notion of of legacy and be a good ancestor, plant trees of which you will never enjoy their shade. That type, that type of mentality. 
So the belief and strategy is a real tool for that because you actually say, okay, here's the plan. This is where we're heading. Here's your role in the plan and you're important, you're important, you're important, you know, and you get to say that. And then, and, but I need you to lift to achieve it. And this is what it looks like. And, and we might've got it wrong, but and so therefore can we be nimble enough to actually bring ourselves back and say what it actually is? That's a really strong vehicle for that. That no, we're not doing very well today, but we'll do very well tomorrow. And mm. you're all a part of it, you know? And sometimes certain things just have to grow. Capability in the main grows organically. Ambition and goals are just words. You know, we're, we're, we're striving for that light at the top of the hill, which we've made up. We've invented the hill. So what capability do we need to actually reach that light at the top of the hill? And then say, so what are we going to do to build that capability to reach that light at the top of the hill? Yeah. So it comes back to the, you know, the doing as it relates to the being. So it's the actions in the moment which are being created. And you get to learn as you go. Oh, we tried that; it didn't work, but we got the learning from it because we've asked the "what happened" question. Mm. You know, those sorts of things. So I, I come back to strategy often because I think it's one of the beliefs. So, so that that question: Do I believe in my people? Do they believe in me? Okay, yep, that's a good one. The second one: Do we believe in the plan? Mm. Do we really believe in the plan? Because you're going to get forces who don't believe in the plan because it looks too hard, it looks too esoteric, it looks too. I remember the first plan. I was at Melbourne Football Club when we started planning to have let's let's set up. Let's be the first club in the AFL to have a women's team represent the Melbourne Football Club. Mm. Let's be the first club. Um, why? Because Melbourne's the oldest club in the competition, 1858. Like, it's the oldest sporting club in the world. Why wouldn't it, or the oldest football club in the world, why wouldn't it actually have that? Mm. Good idea. But we need someone to play because you can't play on your own. So <laughs> we then had to, to take it to other clubs and we eventually the Western Bulldogs play. And all of a sudden, a belief that, the game can sustain an elite level women's competition was there for everyone to see. Mm. But that was there probably 25 years earlier. It's just that no one believed it. And so the plan was just simply, simply, let's be the first club. But then what capability we need, what do we have to do, all those sort of things then came into play. And, and that probably, just that little bit of belief at that point, probably changes the game as much as the game's ever been changed. You know, mm. at, at, a, at a senior level, but mainly at a community level, you know, where we've got, you know, wonderful, unfortunately what's happened this year is it's disrupted all this stuff, but, you know, with, with people, their whole family can play the game. Mm. You know, the girls are playing what the boys are playing and there's career paths for them and facilities are being built and government's investing money, you know, it's just, it's wonderful. Mm. All, um, all it was was a change of belief. I love that. Is this fuel that kind of can power some of the, the best strategies that we got um, or it could it could rob some of the best strategies that we've got. A lack of you belief can, in something yeah. can really rob it. Yeah, and there's no lack of dogma holding it back. And so, it's a, so the funny thing about belief is, I say you're also. By the way, you're not your beliefs either, because <laughs> your beliefs actually do change. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a contradiction on that. So your your beliefs. Yeah, we have to have a belief in something. You know. Yeah, and and I, and I I speak to people who say as coach in the coaching roles that I now play, and I go, "What do you believe?" I believe in God. Okay, well, I, I, I that's not my belief, but I'm I'm not going to judge you on, on yours, you know. Um, and in that, in that sense, it's then saying, "Okay, but what if those beliefs say this? What, where do you sit on those things?" You mm. know. And there's no doubt that people find that really challenging and it came out in the you know, same-sex marriage, all that sort of stuff. You know, there's some elements of that which will always be challenged. But are you, are you even in, in listening to this conversation now, are you prepared to have your mind changed? Are you prepared to have something go, you know, hang on, that makes sense? Mm-hmm. 
how do how do I now do that myself? So so the knowledge is good, but how do I turn the knowledge into wisdom? You know, sort of stuff. I love that. That's the paradox of belief, right? Is that I I hold it tightly and loosely at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I I hold firmly to, to it. Can I use that one? Yeah, yeah please. I'm it's, use it. it's tightly and loosely. Yeah, I love yeah. Because yeah, again, yeah, like the whole challenge is is can I be challenged on my belief, and then can I stand yeah. firm on belief? And both of those are, yeah. are just as valid, right? And that's that is this yeah, paradox of belief. I feel like we could have this conversation all day and I, I, I just want to say, um, you know, a big thank you to you for your time and, and, and for unpacking this a whole lot more and, and just watching it weave together and watching the practical learnings and the questions that we can be asking that's come out of all of this is, I know something that'll add a whole lot of value for the people listening to it. So um, how can people connect with you? What's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, my, my business is called Design CEO, so one word, Design CEO. And, and really it was built on the same sort of notion that you've got to design your leadership Brain, you know, you know, I love the Dan Gregory line, you know, about you know, uh, design beats discipline, and and mm-hmm. that's that's very much you know from that that situation, but also on on LinkedIn, just as myself, I, I'm a regular poster like you are, and um, and again, I think try and do it in a way which is you know, relatively generous, and most of the work I do is with uh, senior leadership teams and their um, and how they build their own belief, you know, in a group yeah. which is often very eclectic and got their own levels of expertise they bring into the room and, and, and understanding and CEOs, but also, um, you know, I speak and write and draw. Yeah. And know, I've, I've been, in, I've been in one of your workshops and I've sat in and I've, I've watched you work with leaders and I, I've watched you combine your creativity as a leader um, with your incredible leadership um, framework and experience and essence. And you combine all of them into the create these really um, okay. enjoyable experiences for people that are something that actually takes them and gives them something practical, practical to work with. But I love um, your more to the game book that you've got available, which is this mm. beautifully designed mixture of your thinking and photography from the AFL. And so um, yeah. I definitely encourage people to get a hold of a copy of that. Um, yeah, which is actually downloadable on my website. So it's under just a book. So it's a, it, people can download it as a PDF. And um, it's, sort of, it's, again, part of the generosity. And, and the fellow whose photog- photography I've, I've had access to, a guy by the name of Michael Wilson, it's just a uh, – he sees the game as a photographer, you know. Mm. So uh, And so they're actually watching they, – they, it's like they're in the middle. They actually watch the game unfold the same way as a, a great player would. And um, – and he sees it as a as a photographer and he's captured some beautiful imagery. But it's also my artwork and and really it was I just it was just a year of writing actually on different topics like we're talking about now and thought, gee, I'll, I'll just go a bit deeper into those ones and 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 what that and and you're almost doing it as a an effort to express. But really, what it, what you're doing is you're actually going deeper into your own understanding. And mm. and, and so I, my three rules come out: can I back it up? Is it is what I'm saying important? And yeah. uh, is there a ge- is there a generosity and a decency? In what, and and there definitely saying. is all three of those. And um and so definitely I'll put the the link to that within the show notes of the right. podcast Thank as well, you. so people can get hold of it. But um, Cam, thanks so much for your time. No worries. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.